I, I uh, have the opportunity whenever I can to talk to students, and uh, and I do encourage them uh, uh, to go into technology, to go into engineering, and the reason I do is I ask them, you know, to think about uh, how you uh, can make a difference in your life, particularly if you uh, have uh, an inkling that you like mathematics, uh, if you like problem solving, if you like collaborating with others uh, to uh, come up with innovative approaches. Uh, these, these are the skills that we need to develop early. By the time students are already, you know, in uh, their uh, teenage years, when they're, you know, uh, 15, 16, 17, it's already too late to spark an interest in these areas. Hi, wherever you're listening to me, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. I'm Hari Arakali, and today I bring you another edition of my special tech briefings. Mark Papermaster wears multiple hats within AMD, where he is Chief Technology Officer and Executive Vice President, and in the semiconductor industry, where he is an important figure in forums such as the IEEE. Papermaster is also one of the people credited with AMD's turnaround over the last decade almost, a turnaround for which CEO Lisa Sue became a widely acclaimed business leader. In today's interview, Papermaster talks about what helped, the future of semiconductors, the company's work in India, his passion for technology innovation, and his advice to aspiring engineers. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Here goes. Mark, welcome to this podcast and uh, thank you so much for making time for this. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, in the world of semiconductors, you're of course a very well-known personality and obviously you wear uh, multiple hats both within AMD and forums like IEEE. Uh, for people in India uh, and for folks uh, who may not be familiar with uh, AMD or your work, perhaps you could give us a snapshot of uh, what you oversee uh, at the company and uh, we'll go from there. Uh, I understand you uh, look at both the technology development aspects as well as uh, the internal IT and tech infrastructure at AMD. Well, first of all, Hari Chandan, thank you very much for inviting me to join you in your podcast because I uh, am an almost 40-year veteran in technology and I love to talk about the topic. And uh, I would be very uh, glad to just introduce my role. So I am Mark Papermaster, CTO and uh, EVP at AMD, with the responsibility, uh, really from a, a CTO perspective, across our technology direction, our roadmap, what type of, uh, of investments and, and direction are we doing with our CPU and our uh, all the other our key technology investments that we make, uh, and uh, as well as our product roadmaps with we, how we put these together in terms of system on chip uh, to serve. Uh, markets from you know PCs and embedded devices to the edge to the cloud to supercomputers and of course gaming devices and uh, and content creation uh, across the you know the the markets that those entail. So it's a very exciting product set we have. And as CTO, it's a, it's a great pleasure to work uh, with our engineers and our business units uh, uh, to align on that direction. And then uh, as part of the CTO role, I do have the information technology, the IT infrastructure of our company, uh, which is uh, I've had that role uh, for the last uh, over four years. And 
uh, that's been great to not only develop the technology that uh, serves uh, data centers and, and corporate customers, but also deploy it at AMD. So uh, we like to be, uh, you know, really a first adopter of that technology. And then as a, as a driving our, uh, our, uh, our technology development, I also have uh, implementation teams across our CPU uh, design and implementation and and our, our server uh, SOC, and as well as our uh, advanced research and infrastructure and other uh, key high-speed interface IPs. So it, it's a, a, a broad role. I'm very uh, fortunate to have had the opportunity uh, to be in, in that role uh, 10 years now. I just celebrated the uh, 10th anniversary just recently. Yeah, and, and uh, I understand that, uh, especially in the second half of those 10 years, uh, uh, you're among the people credited with... Uh, getting AMD its mojo back, if I can put it that way. Uh, and I'd imagine the, that the essence of a deep innovative culture was already there in the company, but maybe needed a different approach. Uh, give us a sense of uh, what things were like uh, when you joined and through the years, and what are some of the changes that you implemented? Well, it's a great question. I mean, people see our turnaround the last five years, but what they don't realize is that uh, you have to plant the seeds uh, to grow those trees much earlier. So it's a long lead time for development. And we actually started uh, changing the ways in which we uh, engineer our products, uh, you know, really starting uh, 10 years ago. It was one of, uh, you know, my first focus upon joining uh, was to re-examine uh, the approach that AMD had. And the reason is that AMD had had a storied history of innovation, of being able to bring uh, disruptively advanced products to market. And it had, you know, so many great innovations that it had brought to bear. Uh, but uh, what we wanted to develop was a process uh, where we could move even more quickly, more nimbly, and reliably hit every product cycle uh, exactly as we promised. And so to do that, we uh, changed the approach uh, you know, the, the, the thing that I was uh, very excited about joining AMD was to bring a modular approach uh, to the design team. And, and they, uh, engineers just had uh, great ideas as we put together this goal of being more modular, more nimble in our development process on how we could go do that. And so the, the team started development, uh, you know, uh, you know, really uh, years ago, it was probably 2012 when we kicked off the development of what we call our infinity architecture, uh, which allowed us uh, to plan in advance how all of the pieces come together. Imagine these complex semiconductor devices like a puzzle piece, uh, puzzle pieces that are put together uh, in, a, in a very seamless way. Uh, when you do it right, you look at the completed puzzle and it looks like a beautiful picture. Well, that's the analogy with creating these complicated system on chips. Uh, if you can think about it in a more modular way and how you can make it easier to put these puzzle pieces together uh, by uh, designing how they go together, uh, how to make it uh, more efficient, how they can communicate with one another, uh, and, a, and a more reliable design process, it can have a huge impact. Um, and so that's what we did. And the other reason we... Uh, led the way with this modular approach is that we saw that the industry needed significant change uh, over time as to how uh, the chips would come together. So modular design uh, was very, very important. 
that really laid the, the premise for uh, a, a lot of our, our speed and quality of execution to get out advanced products. Uh, we also implemented what we call leapfrogging design teams. So we'd never worked on just one generation, uh, but always thought about our key products, our CPU and our GPU uh, processors, these high-performance processors as a family of products, working on generate a, a current generation that we're completing while we're already doing uh, a design for a next generation, and then even architecting, thinking about the elements uh, that can put even the generation beyond that into play. Uh, and then lastly, it's about thinking about hardware and software and how you accelerate that design. And so, you know, the third key change to our engineering process was uh, hardware software co-design, and we made a huge investment in uh, what's called emulation, the ability uh, to start testing, uh, developing and testing your software even before you completed a chip design. And so those three elements were all very, very critical in what I call re-engineering our engineering process. And, uh, you know, that, that set us up very, very well for the turnaround at AMD. Right. Uh, staying on the products uh, a little longer, uh, of course, uh, gaming and PC gaming and console gaming enthusiasts uh, really know you very well. In fact, my own son has just put together his first gaming PC with an AMD Ryzen uh, processor. Uh, but give us a sense of uh, the direction you are headed. I know you, you've talked about uh, what you call uh, heterogeneous uh, computing, which you've pioneered at AMD. And you're also now uh, uh, a big force in uh, high-performance computing. So uh, give us a sense of uh, the kinds of uh, products that are coming out of AMD and also the ones that might come out in, in the near future. Well, that's uh, really uh, a great question, Harichand. And, and when you think about it, um, our uh, experience that we had in game gaming and creating uh, chips that became the CPU and GPU, the, the, the CPU central processor, the graphics uh, engine for uh, the, the PlayStation uh, 4 and the Xbox System X, uh, you know, those wins back in 2013 uh, were very, very key because they needed to bring together those CPU and GPU working together heterogeneously for a very, very demanding customer. That's a gaming a gaming customer. They uh, All gamers really want the best performance you can give them because it's the difference of between winning and losing when you can have a very uh, fast uh, response and, and a beautiful graphics that really entrance you in the latest gaming uh, games uh, titles as they come out. And so uh, we partnered, uh, you know, with Sony, with Microsoft, and uh, really honed that technology. We, we uh, enhanced that and, and brought out leadership PC gaming. Uh, we brought then the uh, new high-performance Zen Core family to market in 2017. Uh, we followed that with the new high-performance uh, uh, Navi uh, family uh, for our Radeon uh, graphics. And when you uh, look at what we're doing now, the kind of success that we're having and growing our, our gaming market share, it has its roots in, in first the heterogeneous computing that we did, CPU and GPU for, for gaming. Uh, but now what we uh, are able to do is progress that strategy. We said all along that we felt that heterogeneous computing not just CPU, but CPU working with GPU and other accelerators was the future for the industry. 
that the industry was moving to high performance. It needed high performance, and it needed more than just high performance CPUs. It needed accelerators. So that has been the strategy of our company uh, for almost 10 years, and we are uh, delivered on that promise. And so now uh, it's allowed us to really gain uh, market share uh, driven by the high performance products we have across PC uh, and PC for you know notebooks and for uh, desktops, which includes high performance uh, uh, games such as your as your son was building. Uh, it, it it goes to uh, all the way to the server with our uh, Epic CPUs and a, and in uh, and, uh, and a server with what we call Radeon Instinct, where we uh, take our uh, Radeon CPUs that were uh, um, traditionally really optimized for graphics, but we created yet another product line, Radeon Instinct, that optimizes those graphics for the compute requirements in the data center. So we we uh, have invested in heterogeneous computing for years. Uh, it anticipated that it would be uh, harder uh, uh, for new technology nodes to deliver the historic performance they uh, had. That's the slowing of Moore's Law. Uh, and we uh, really have delivered on that, uh, that promise. And now you see the industry falling. You see many others uh, working to create CPU plus GPU uh, in optimized ways. And we've led that way at AMD and really have uh, the highest in performance of that implementation. And, and just briefly to, to kind of get uh, a little bit of this understanding out there to our listeners, when someone with your level of technical expertise and understanding of the industry talks about uh, high-performance computing, what are you talking about exactly? I mean, give us a bit of an understanding of this concept. Sure. When, when you think about high-performance, that's a very... Uh, broad term. It means that uh, that we're optimizing uh, not for, I'll say, the embedded device that might be uh, in an appliance you have. So you might buy a uh, a therm- you know a, a thermostat that you're putting in your business or a thermostat that you're putting in your home, and it might be a smart thermostat. So it needs a microprocessor. Uh, in it, and that that's IoT and an, an, embed, an embedded, you know, Internet of Things device. So it's a smart device. Now that device uh, doesn't need the highest performance. Uh, what it needs is very, very long battery life. Well, what we focus on is the applications that are very demanding for performance. They also need energy efficiency, and so we uh, we design in excellent energy efficiency. Uh, but it's not it's not uh, uh, for uh, battery mode only. Uh, in uh, in many cases, when you, for instance, when you you look across uh, desktop PCs, edge devices, to the server, high performance gaming, uh, these these can run in uh, on battery on a notebook implementation, uh, and and uh, we design uh, highly optimized for that. But typically, these highest performance devices, when you want the ultimate performance, uh, you want uh, optimized the performance and performance per watt of energy. And so it's that balance uh, that we provide. Uh, and it's for uh, discerning customers that really uh, have demanding applications, uh, whether it be uh, business running uh, data analytics, uh, gamers uh, to, uh, you know, demand, demanding uh, cloud applications, all the way to supercomputers. And we've won 
two of the world's uh, largest bids for supercomputing, uh, which will uh, bring us into what's called the exaflop era. Uh, so high performance is across our whole portfolio and everything we do. And it, feed, it also uh, feeds a field of server computing, which is called HPC, high performance computing, uh, which is, uh, you know, uh, computers optimized for some of the most difficult workloads like weather forecasting, uh, you know, molecular analysis, uh, the, the type of research that goes to, uh, you know, creating vaccines for uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, you know, another area that we've been uh, very invested in with academia and the industry. So that's really the, the definition of uh, high performance. It's for the demanding applications that really require not only the best CPU, but the best CPU plus uh, accelerators of GPU uh, and, and other point uh, optimizations. And that is where heterogeneous computing uh, is really the future. Hmm. Uh, in terms of... Uh the uh, development of uh, capabilities uh, of semiconductor chips. Uh, wh what is the latest thinking uh, on uh, on Moore's law? And, and I've come across mention of uh, Moore's law plus. Uh, will there be a new version of the law uh, with uh, quantum computing? Uh, what's going on? Well, uh, when you look at Moore's law, uh, it's it's been uh, well established that the uh, doubling of transistor density every uh, 18 to 24 months. That's the definition of, of Moore's law. Uh, it's been a, just a massive benefit for decades uh, in the industry. Uh, but it's also well established that uh, starting about, uh, you know, uh, eight to 10 years ago, uh, we started to see the first signs that uh, the uh, density improvements could still be made but that it would be a higher cost per transistor uh, than the historic Moore's law. And that the frequency, the speed at which the transistor ran uh, could not scale at the historic uh, pace of Moore's law. In fact, it was, it was tailing off. So uh, more, you know, when you look at it going forward, uh, the old Moore's law doesn't exist anymore because you don't get all of those benefits of density uh, with higher performance at lower power at the same cost per transistor. That part is gone. But uh, what we have found is that with innovation and bringing innovation of how that we put the solution together, we can actually stay on or exceed the old traditional Moore's Law pace. And so it takes still new transistor designs, uh, new transistor uh, implementations of the new semiconductor nodes, but how you put them together is fundamentally changing. What we're finding now, because the cost per transistor is going up uh, and some of the transistor types are not scaling with the new semiconductor node, that you need to be more selective. The circuitry that you put on the most advanced semiconductor node uh, might be just uh, the uh, portions that need that highest density and the most uh, power efficient. Whereas other circuits uh, might be doing just fine if you left them on an older semiconductor process that yields more efficiently. And how do you put them together? This is an area AMD pioneered. Uh, it's really what we call a chiplet approach. Again, remember what I said earlier, we invested starting 10 years ago in a modular design approach. And that allowed us to be the industry's pioneer in chiplet technology. 
Uh, we uh, implemented in uh, 2019 uh, a, a chiplet approach uh, in our server technology that used seven nanometer uh, at the time, the latest semiconductor process node. Uh, we use that for the CPU chip and then for the circuits that connect it to, uh, uh, you know, allow it to scale. That would be the IO and the memory devices. Uh, we used an older 12 nanometer process, uh, which is more efficient and gave us all the performance we needed uh, for those IO and memory devices. And we connected those chiplets up very efficiently. Uh, and uh, it was, has been a very, very successful product. Uh, we, we refreshed that in the server earlier this year uh, with our third generation Epic server that we codenamed uh, Milan. Uh, again, a chiplet approach. And we brought chiplet approach into our GPU in our, in our, uh, our highest performing uh, GPU. We uh, led the industry uh, with a, a stack memory devices, HBM. Uh, in our graphics products, and uh, just in Computex this year, uh, announced 3D stacking of of uh, memory circuits on top of our CPU, which we call our vCache. So across all the elements of our computing, we're looking to innovate uh, to keep us on that exponential pace of performance and performance per watt of energy that we had historically been on with Moore's Law. So, uh, with uh, all this excitement over uh, artificial intelligence and, and the advances that are being made, uh, and on the one hand, you have uh, really powerful computers and data centers which are becoming available over the cloud, and on the other, you have uh, uh, much more capable semiconductors uh, at the edge of networks. Uh, and if you add AI to that, uh, what is what are the implications uh, of uh, you know, semiconductors that need to uh, run AI programs, and what does it mean for companies like AMD? Well, I, I couldn't be more excited about uh, the whole trend of AI because uh, AI uh, allows us to be incredibly more efficient at putting data to work for us. I mentioned earlier all of those IoT devices which are being embedded around us. What each of them is doing is creating a massive amount of data. Uh, so if you think about any business, uh, they're creating a you know, tremendous amount of data about their uh, inventory management and they're, they're tracking it in more automated ways. Uh, again, they have embedded uh, IoT de uh, type devices helping them. It might be in the factory floor. It might be in their, uh, you know, their delivery uh, systems and, and their distribution systems. Uh, and uh, likewise, uh, you know, communications like AV using uh, audiovisual need AI to create uh, more uh, uh, high-quality interfaces, or it might be uh, blurring the background in a video conference uh, so that you can have privacy. You might be working from home and you want, uh, you know, a blurred image behind you. All of those are, are done with uh, uh, machine learning uh, to uh, very, very efficiently uh, create that experience. And, you know, think about medical care where you can use AI, you know, analyzing uh, the uh, the data of uh, everything from X-ray to medical testing uh, to uh, use that data to create uh, more help for the physicians uh, in uh, possible uh, you know disease sources or uh, you know uh, issues in that uh, in that healthcare uh, analysis that each doctor you know is so inundated with uh, each day given the demands on our on our physicians today. So these are 
you know, all areas where uh, AI uh, can uh, can help. And uh, we're seeing it being adopted uh, really in, in every type of market. So from an AMD strategy, uh, you know, our thinking uh, is uh, very simply that we have been working for years to, uh, to bring about uh, the best high-performance solutions and high-performance includes AI. So our CPUs today uh, are very efficient at, uh, at AI inferencing, uh, at, at, at being able to help analyze that data. We created the software libraries uh, were developed out of our team in India, actually, uh, to facilitate how our CPUs uh, can uh, facilitate AI. If you look at our GPUs, we have uh, also acceleration for AI workloads uh, and, and are creating that, you know, of course, the associated software stack there. So really across our product line and starting with those base CPU and GPU engines, uh, they are uh, AI ready, uh, both from a hardware standpoint uh, and uh, uh, just tremendous investment that we've been making the last uh, over five years uh, in the software enablement. Uh, briefly, uh, do you uh, foresee that there'll be entirely new architectures uh, designed uh, from scratch to support more and more powerful uh, AI? And are there some early examples from among the portfolio of AMD products uh, itself, uh, of some of that already happening? AI is, is evolving rapidly. You see the algorithms are, are uh, you know, changing at a rapid pace. And so the bulk of the AI processing today uh, is done uh, actually on CPUs. Uh, where highly specialized uh, training for AI, it's done for, uh, uh, today uh, uh, really on GPUs. But the demand for AI computing is growing at such a rapid pace uh, that you're seeing, uh, you know, even more specialized devices. Uh, you know, Xilinx, which uh, AMD is in the process of acquisition, uh, has a, has been very successful with a, a dedicated engine, AI engine, uh, that they've, uh, they've developed. Uh, and so uh, you're going to see the combination of CPU, GPU, and these specialized uh, AI engines uh, which will be needed to meet the exploding demand uh, for AI and machine learning computing. And, you know, again, the reason is AI is being used in uh, almost every business application. Um, those that uh, don't uh, look to harness their data and, and uh, apply AI to uh, put that data to work and to make um, their products and uh, their businesses and their experiences uh, more efficient uh, or better uh, using these techniques uh, run the risk of being left behind. Uh, it would be like uh, missing the transition of, uh, of, you know, video distribution being, uh, you know, always used to be sent by DVDs. Uh, now it's done with streaming. Uh, it'd be like missing the, you know, the, you know, the transition uh, from, you know, uh, print media uh, to social media and, uh, and online resources. These are all uh, you know, revolutions and, and how people work, how they communicate, how they, uh, you know, get uh, their tasks accomplished. And uh, you're seeing uh, AI uh, being able to be used effectively uh, across uh, really all of these areas. Hmm. Uh, what do you see uh, emerging from the confluence of semiconductors, uh, AI, 
uh, and uh, quantum computing uh, what are some of the most uh, ambitious or even audacious uh, you know uh, attempts being made at companies like AMD and in the industry in general yeah well, it's a very good question uh, the way i suggest you think about quantum computing uh, is uh, it is an accelerator it's a you know the the use of what's called a qubit so we're it, let me back up if you look at traditional computing and everything that we've talked about so far uh, it uses the binary system. So the way that we represent anything, whether it be text or, or photos, we break it down into a zeros or ones. That's the binary system. Uh, so every bit has two states, a zero or a one. Quantum computing has multiple bits called the qubit. So it has vastly more states that can be represented. Uh, and so it is, in fact, a very, very effective uh, accelerator. But it's programmed very, very differently. It's very expensive to create a quantum computer. Uh, and even once you create that computer, uh, we do not have all of the uh, programming techniques uh, and we don't have the tool support uh, for wide distribution. So quantum computing is still in its infancy, but there are problems that can be vastly accelerated by quantum computing. Uh, so our approach at AMD uh, is we are uh, you know, encouraging uh, quantum computing by ensuring that we can be the, uh, I'll say, base engine. Imagine, imagine an AMD Epic computer uh, that's very effective. It handles traditional programming techniques, uh, but it could attach to a quantum computer, which could be used as an accelerator. So if I look at the next, you know, I'll say, you know, certainly seven years, that that will be the predominant uh, usage of um, of quantum computing, uh, you know, in our outlook. Uh, so we we are partnering with those in quantum, and uh, we really, uh, you know, uh, like uh, its application as accelerator. Uh, but it will be some time uh, before quantum could be mainstream. Okay, uh, I want to uh, touch on two other uh, topics uh, before I uh, before we have to wrap up. Uh, first, of course, uh, you already mentioned uh, uh, the teams in India working on enabling AI on on CPUs, AMD CPUs. Uh, tell us a bit more about uh, AMD's operations in India. I know you have two centers, uh, the first one going back, I think, 17, 18 years. Uh, what are some of the areas that the India centers have contributed to and uh, what role do you expect them to play in the foreseeable future? Well, no, it's a, it's a great uh, question. I, I have tremendous pride of our teams in India. So... As I mentioned, I've been at AMD 10 years, and and uh, I, I think uh, you know one of my uh, almost uh, first or second uh, trips was to visit the team in India because our teams in uh, Bangalore and Hyderabad are central uh, to what we're doing, and it's been a, a huge area of uh, growth for us. Uh, as you said, we've we've uh, been uh, in in uh, India over 15 years, coming on uh, 18 years, and we've grown the the team uh, tremendously. And so, when you uh, look at um, you know you look at what we do there, uh, it it really touches on uh, almost every product development that we have at AMD. So, uh, if you look at our CPU team a very significant uh, presence of our CPU team. In fact, uh, our head of, uh, of India uh, is uh, based in 
uh, in Bangalore, Jay Jagadish, and, and has that CPU uh, team and the, and the system on chip team that then takes that CPU and puts that together into an integrated chip design. Uh, and uh, that is, uh, as well as uh, across uh, other key system on chip teams. So uh, India has been a, uh, actually one of the lead centers of putting those, those solutions together across our portfolio. Uh, we have, uh, uh, as I mentioned, software development for AI and the CPU, but also across gaming uh, and uh, GPU. Uh, we have uh, development uh, in India, and we're expanding uh, across uh, further teams uh, there as well. So it's really uh, been, uh, you know, uh, really, really strong uh, team for us, a dedicated team growing over 18 years. We went from about uh, 1,600 engineers in 2018 uh, to nearly doubling that uh, as we look at present day. So tremendous growth. Uh, we continue to grow there. And uh, the team is very proud. They know that with the turnout of AMD, uh, they have had a hand in everything from the award-winning uh, Zen processor uh, to our our uh, you know high uh, performance uh, client products, our Ryzen product line, uh, and development across uh, software products, across embedded products, uh, they've had uh, you know uh, key influential roles on all of these, and uh, they're rightfully very proud of their accomplishment as we are as well from a, a, a headquarters team. I know that uh, Xilinx as well has I think one center in uh, Hyderabad. Uh, you would have already looked very carefully at the potential for close collaboration of uh, the AMD and Xilinx teams globally, including India. So from the India perspective, uh, give us a glimpse into uh, what it might what it might mean uh, for the combination of the two teams. Well, we're very excited about the uh, promise of, of a combined portfolio between AMD and Xilinx. Uh, we announced this acquisition uh, just over a year ago, uh, we uh, set our target uh, to try and close this by uh, year end of 2021, and uh, we're working hard, progressing. Uh, so, if we're uh, successful on that schedule, uh, then uh, then then we'll be there very very soon. And I've had a chance over the last year to work very closely uh, in the integration planning across uh, with leaders from AMD and leaders from Xilinx. And uh, it's a it's an excellent synergy, and I'll say uh, almost a fully complementary uh, portfolio of products. Uh, Xilinx is uh, incredibly strong across networking, across uh, uh, products, and and the emerging five G infrastructure. I mentioned earlier the AI engine and the broad category of adaptable computing, uh, with and this complements very very well our portfolio of CPU and GPU-based AMD products. From an India perspective, Xilinx has a very large population in, in Hyderabad, uh, and uh, we are very pleased uh, with the uh, opportunity uh, upon successful uh, completion of, a, of approval of the acquisition uh, to be able to grow that partnership uh, between the two companies. Both companies are engineering focused. They're focused on innovation. And so I believe the cultures will come together very, very well uh, and uh, will grow. Uh, it, it will allow this uh, already fast growth uh, that we've been on in India uh, to take, you know, really a, 
uh, yet another huge jump. Uh, you know, there's well uh, well over uh, a thousand uh, Xilinx engineers in Hyderabad. So uh, very very exciting. In fact, seventeen hundred plus Xilinx uh, engineers in Hyderabad. So very very, very um, it's, this will be a huge step in terms of our India presence uh, and growing the technical talent upon completion of, uh, of bringing these uh, two entities together. Mm. Uh, do you do you see another sort of uh, round of uh, broader industry consolidation happening right now? Uh, I mean, you know, uh, NVIDIA is looking to buy ARM and so on. So uh, is, is there a, a broader consolidation in the semiconductor industry right now? There's been an ongoing consolidation in the semiconductor industry. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, with Moore's Law slowing, uh, one of the other side effects of that is it's becoming more and more expensive uh, to design semiconductors. Uh, and you need what I call economy of scale. You really need a broader mass volume that you can amortize these uh, significant uh, design costs. One is the engineer to, to create a state-of-the-art, uh, high-performance CPU and GPU like we do at AMD. It takes thousands of engineers for developing the hardware. To develop the enabling software, it takes thousands of engineers. Uh, the, the cost associated with bringing up uh, your uh, uh, chip design, the know-how to do the chip design, and then the packaging design, and then the test uh, of each of these uh, circuitries, and then, then the mass production uh, is extensive. And so all of this is driving, indeed, a, a consolidation uh, in in the industry, so that's that's not new. Uh, that's been uh, going on now for for several years. But uh, if uh, upon completion, uh, the acquisition of Xilinx by AMD uh, would be huge. This would be, uh, you know, really uh, the largest semiconductor acquisition of this type. Um, as you know, uh, in India, the, we've completely missed the bus in terms of. Uh, semiconductor foundries and manufacturing, would you say it's uh, too late to get into that game or can India start now and uh, actually achieve something meaningful over the next five, ten years? Well, I'm I'm far one that I would uh, suggest that I could be the one that uh, gives advice to, uh, to uh, any government, uh, you know, uh, uh, directly. But I, I will talk about trends in the industry. And one of the things that I think um, uh, clear is that there's multiple ways of, of innovation coming of how the solutions put together. The foundry itself is, uh, is a, a highly engineered factory. And so we do need geographic diversity of these foundries. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I think that the uh, gap is such it's very hard for someone to come in at the ground level. Uh, it will take years to develop uh, the capabilities uh, of the uh, leading edge fabs, and those fabs won't slow down. But the, uh, I think that can be mitigated by geographic diversity of the of the big uh, fab companies that are out there today. Uh, and I think that the way uh, to get ahead is to realize that there's going to be so much innovation of how chips are put together. Uh, and how hardware and software are put together uh, to drive the industry uh, of, of uh, computation going forward. And so there's a tremendous opportunity to invest in how uh, these solutions are put together. 
uh, hardware, software, and applications. And there's so much of this uh, talent is in India. I just think it's a tremendous opportunity for the region. Again, with the advent, uh, you know, an explosive growth of AI, uh, there will be no slowdown, only acceleration on the needs for more and more advanced computation and the software applications that can leverage that computation. Mm. I want to ask uh, two or three questions about uh, your career because definitely aspiring engineers as well as uh, uh, emerging tech leaders would, would definitely love to hear about that. Uh, but before that, very briefly, uh, any uh, uh, guesstimates in terms of uh, uh, how long the ongoing semiconductor shortage might last? You know, there uh, has been a lot said about the shortage uh, of chips in the industry, and, and particularly hard hit was the automotive industry, uh, which does not use the more cutting-edge semiconductor nodes like we do at AMD, uh, but uh, you typically much older technology because for autos, uh, they need this uh, this stability and cost point of of these uh, uh, older technologies. So we did not have the the same challenges of the automotive industry, uh, and our supply chain team did a, a great job of of improving this um, long range planning uh, with with our supply chain. So if you look at 2021, we uh, stated that we're on a path to grow 65 percent in revenue year over year. And, and that uh, that means that we've done that with increased chip supply to be able to grow at that at that pace. Uh, so it really does take a very advanced planning, long lead time uh, with your supply uh, base, and that will continue. But more broadly, your question in terms of the overall industry, uh, we do expect to see some easing of the shortages in second half of 2022 and into 2023. Okay. Uh, so, so about your own uh, uh, journey, uh, tell us a bit about uh, how you came to join AMD. I mean, by that time, you already had a stellar career in, in, this, in the industry. I mean, you worked at IBM and other places. Uh, how did you come to join AMD? It's, it's really a, a very interesting story. I, I had been very fortunate to uh, work with great people and have a chance to have uh, you know, big impacts across IBM. Uh, at, at Apple with uh, iPhone and uh, running iPhone and iPod, reporting to Steve Jobs was a great opportunity to learn uh, learn from a you know a story leader in the industry, uh, and uh, and then I was uh, at at Cisco at the time, and what what a great team at Cisco, uh, but I was approached uh, by a board member at AMD who had been a mentor of mine, had headed R and D at IBM, and he you know advised of the situation at AMD uh, where, I, I, you know, that without change, without a change in how, uh, you know, AMD approached getting its products to market, uh, you know, he was uh, very concerned for the future. That was Nick D'Onofrio. And so Nick uh, urged me to uh, come and join as uh, of CTO and, and run the engineering team. And he, he said, uh, frankly, he said that, you know, if, if you don't take this opportunity, it's such a chance to impact the industry uh, that that he would have to consider coming out of retirement and take the, that role himself. And so that was very impactful to me. It really, uh, you know, I I know AMD. I always respected AMD as being such an innovative uh, company, uh, but it was it was very uh, striking on the opportunity. And so I did talk to the team, and again, I knew it to be incredibly smart and innovative people at AMD. And, uh, you know, I, I became convinced that I could partner with the, the, 
uh, with those uh, brilliant engineers and that we could really have an impact. Uh, and that, that's what we've done. It's, it's all about teamwork and it's all about creating an environment for collaboration, one where engineers can do their best. Uh, they, they can uh, know that they can work together, that it's an engineering run company, uh, so that we, uh, you know, we will understand that there are technical challenges. Uh, we will understand, uh, that we have tough decisions that we have to make together, uh, and that, uh, understand that we have to manage risk, but we do it with uh, a spirit and a culture of collaboration that I think is absolutely best in the industry. Uh, so it was a phenomenal opportunity, uh, and I've just been uh, thrilled to be part of this great uh, AMD team. And it's great to see what Lisa has done with the company as she became uh, CEO in late 2014. So she and I had joined together uh, almost uh, or just over, uh, well, for me, just 10 years ago, and and uh, her, uh, you know, very uh, closely uh, close uh, time frame. Uh, and when she became uh, CEO in uh, late 2014, it really galvanized the company around taking the changes that we had put in motion and really uh, focusing all of that on, uh, on the high performance leadership opportunity. Uh, and it just, uh, you know, has been, I, I think that that focus on being a high performance leader combined with the culture and engineering approaches that uh, that we had in flight. Uh, and then, of course, uh, all of the other uh, uh, focus areas that Lisa brought as CEO to the company, uh, that, that combination uh, has been incredibly powerful. And uh, we don't intend to slow down. <laughs> we're, we're full speed ahead. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, all built around uh, this culture of collaboration and innovation. Mm. When you were really young, I mean, maybe as a as a schoolboy and looking at going to college uh, one day, what got you interested in technology to begin with? Well, I grew up in a family of uh, that was filled with science. My father was a cancer researcher, and so the, the discussion at home was always about solving problems. Uh, he focused on immunology and how to uh, use, you know, uh, the the human body, how we could understand uh, why the, in cancer did the human body turn against itself and how with immunological approaches that we now see prevalent in, in the medical care, how you could prevent uh, cancer. And so I, I think it was very influential for me uh, uh, to, uh, to be uh, excited early on in problem solving. So I, I grew up asking lots of questions, asking why, why, and then why again. And uh, and so that was uh, spurred my uh, interest and curiosity in science. And then I had a chance uh, in uh, when I was, I think, you know, in the teens, I was 16, 17. And I had the opportunity to have a, a, a job working with an electrical engineer uh, who was using, uh, you know, the kind of computing. This is many years ago, so it wasn't the kind of computing we have today, but was using um, computation to really um to find, uh, you know, analysis of the data of how uh, doctors could be more effective. And so uh, it really showed me at even that very young age, uh, you, you know, um, uh, over 40 years ago, uh, uh, how computers could be used for good, how they could improve society, the treatment of diseases. And, it, it, you know, it's, it's 
uh, what makes me most proud about being an engineer uh, and and incredibly proud of AMD during this COVID uh, uh, terrible crisis uh, that we've all experienced the last two years. At AMD, uh, we've been able to uh, create an HPC high performance compute COVID fund where we have uh, donated over 12 petaflops of computing uh, to uh, academia and consortia that are looking to improve uh, disease management and and, uh, and to find cures uh, to these type of viruses, which includes uh, the uh, Fourth Paradigm Institute uh, in India. We're very proud uh, to have them as a partner in our COVID fund that we were able to uh, you know, provide computing capabilities to. Okay. Uh, last question. Uh, what advice uh, would you have uh, for aspiring engineers, uh, especially in India, uh, who are uh, considering uh, a career in the semiconductor industry? Well, I, I, I uh, have the opportunity whenever I can to talk to students, and, uh, and I do encourage them uh, uh, to go into technology, to go into engineering. And the reason I do is I ask them, you know, to think about uh, how do you uh, can make a difference in your life, particularly if you uh, have um, an inkling that you like mathematics, uh, if you like problem solving, if you like collaborating with others uh, to uh, come up with innovative approaches. Uh, these these are the skills that we need to develop early. By the time students are already, you know, in uh, their uh, teenage years, when they're, you know, uh, 15, 16, 17, it's already too late to spark an interest in these areas. We need to, uh, when they're younger, show them the, 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 the beauty of, of mathematics and problem solving and to develop a passion because uh, to really be successful in technology, I recommend that you that you have that passion for technology and that you seek to understand the kind of impact it would have. Uh, and, and if you see that, it's the motivation that can spur you uh, the rest of your life. Uh, and then you too can make a big difference in this area. And the demand will, you know, will only grow. Uh, so it also can give you great uh, career opportunities going forward. So that's really what I recommend is first develop the passion learn what what uh, engineering and, and this type of problem solving is really about. And if that is for you, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, endeavor to take the leap and to find the mentors and to, uh, you know, uh, work with your teachers uh, to really excel in those areas. Okay, excellent. Uh, Mark, wonderful conversation. Uh, thank you so much for generously making time for this. I definitely hope to keep the conversation going. All right, Chandan, thank you so much for uh, having me with your podcast and the opportunity to chat with you. Very enjoyable. That was Mark Papermaster. That's it for this briefing. You can find all our podcasts on ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast apps. I'm Hari Thank you for listening.